And of course, uh, as I share with you on a regular basis, we stand reading God's word in honor of the word of God, a tradition received from Ezra the priest in the book of Nehemiah. So let's begin. I'm reading out of the New King James Version of God's word. Please follow along as I read. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children. So we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. And Father, we pray that you'd have your way as we look at this passage together. Have your way in our hearts. Lord, um, teach us. But Lord, use your word to change us. Lord, might we become more like you, Lord Jesus, through this time together. As you place your word in our hearts. Let your spirit be with us to give us understanding to open the eyes of our hearts to see you more clearly, Lord Jesus, and, Lord, to give us the wisdom, discernment, understanding, and the strength to do what you're calling us to do as your children today in this world. So, God, have your way. Be glorified in this time, and we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Last week, we closed out chapter 20. As you will recall, and as you can see, just looking up a few verses before uh, where we started this morning in chapter 21, verse 35, we see Paul quotes from Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We talked about that just a little bit last week, but I I just want to kind of touch on that just a little bit more this morning. I didn't feel like I gave it the time that it really needs, and... uh, I'm not going to do it again this morning either, but I did want to add a little bit to that because I I, I think that that is one of the primary uh, um, truths that we as followers of Jesus need to understand, the reality that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We we, we talked about that a bit last week. Um, But I do have to say, and, 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 and many of you can say the same thing, just just the reality that giving your life to Christ and giving your, yourself in service to God and to others is an incredibly joyous and fulfilling thing to do. 
you know, uh, as I shared last week uh, wi- with you, there's nothing like being used, nothing like being used by God in the lives of other people. A- and you understand the, um, the, the work that is being done in the lives of others through your ministry to them. You know, and, and you know it's God's work. He's the one that causes the growth. We might water, we might plant, but he causes the growth, right? And, and he always receives the glory for that, but reality is that is true. Over the last three years in caring for my bride, you know, while it was, I had some of the toughest moments of my life during that time, Still, I have to say they were among the most fulfilling moments of my life at the same time. You know, there's nothing like giving yourself for the sake of another. Nothing like that. It doesn't make sense to our own hearts because it's like, you know, when you give and give and give and give, how are you going to receive? Well, if the body of Christ is working like the body of Christ is supposed to work, you know, we, we give and we receive simultaneously because as, as, I'm, as I'm giving to this person who has need, there's somebody else who's giving to me because of the need that I have. But bottom line, it's all God's work, whether it is through his word, whether it is through the word of a brother or sister in Christ, whatever it may be, it is all God's work. You know, and um, I miss my wife and, and I, I miss taking care of her. As hard as that was, I miss it. I miss it. That's one of the areas that you can be praying for me about. I, I, I do believe I shared this with you quite some time ago, and I think it was probably about a year ago now that this took place. But uh, in caring for my bride, I, I got her up to, uh, on one morning. I, I believe it was, it was. It was a Saturday morning. I, I got her up and got her ready for the day and everything, and, and uh, I got her into the kitchen, sat her at the table, and and I had prepared her morning steak that we always would have. And I began to, to serve that to her. I, I, would, I would hold it while she would slip it through a straw. I had forgotten to um, put on the worship music like I normally would do. And I, I, I'm sitting there serving her with this. I, I didn't want to take it away from her, so I thought, I'll just, I'll just worship, I'll sing. And I began to sing... Um, I don't remember what the name of the song is. But I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. And right at that moment, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, that's what you're doing right now. You know, and as I served her in her need, it was a form of worship to my Lord. And, and you know, that was as, there have been just a few times when the Lord has spoken to my heart so clearly. You know, I mean, we don't get those moments often, but that was one of those for me. It was so encouraging to me, so fulfilling, so uplifting to my heart that, that my Lord would speak to me to tell me that I was pleasing Him. That I was in a, in a place of worship as I held that shake so that my bride could sip from it. There's nothing like serving others. It is truly better to give than to receive. I just wanted to share that with you this morning. I, I, through the week, the Lord just ministered that to my heart. And well, I want to I share that with, for, with, with you guys. So, you know, Please know and understand that the, the, the truth of that. And, and, and I think at some level, all of us have experienced that to one degree or another. We've all experienced the truth of that. But let's make sure that we are giving. Let's make sure that we are serving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, as we come to chapter 21, we see that the Apostle Paul at the end uh, of that last chapter, um, they, they knelt down and prayed together as, as he was leaving. They, they, they wept and they were hugging each other, uh, uh, kissing one another with a holy kiss, as Paul would write 
in his letters and so forth. A and uh, we remember that Paul had told them and they knew that this was the last time they were going to see him. And also remembering that he had been with them for a period of three years. Three years. The notes are falling over here. Um, three years he had been with them. Caring for them, teaching them, loving on them, uh, um, being their pastor and so forth. And, and, and so they had a very, very emotional parting on that particular day. But now we see in verse 21, it came to pass that when we had departed from them. By the way, this, um, this word departing is a term that means to tear away. It can be translated that way, to tear away. So there was this tearing that was taking place. He literally had to be torn away from them as he began his journey back to Jerusalem. Well, we're told a few things in regard in the first several verses here, just some detail about their journey to Syria on this ship. In fact, there were a couple of stops on the way. They went to the uh, coast, Rhodes, Patara. Uh, th this would have been three days of sailing at three different ports. Uh, um, Colossus of Rhodes, by the way, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, he probably knew of that particular place. Maybe he went to see it while he was there. We don't know. But that, that, that was there. And Paul was not wasting any time because he, he understood that the Lord wanted him in Jerusalem. He had said back in Acts 19.21, in fact, it's not so much that he had said, but this is what, what uh, uh, Luke actually writes. He said, when these things were accomplished, in this verse he says that, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So that was in his heart. He wanted to go to Jerusalem, Remember that he had the, these donations, the, this money that he was taking to the church in Jerusalem because of, of the famine and the, and the persecution that was taking place. They needed, they needed some financial help, so he had that for them. And he also wanted to celebrate the, the uh, feast at that time. So he was headed for Jerusalem. And it brings to mind the heart of Jesus uh, as, as he heads to Jerusalem for the last time in his physical life. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Luke writes here, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, notice that he didn't say time for him to be crucified or to die, but to be received up, because that's ultimately what happened, right? When the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Some translations say like a flint. I mean, he, he, was, he was just rock solid steady with his face toward Jerusalem. That was his goal. That's where he was going. Nothing was going to stop him. And as uh, Luke had written there in uh, Acts 19.21, Paul purposed in the Spirit. He had been purposed in the Spirit by the Spirit to go. It would have taken about five days or so to sail from Patara, the last stop, to Tyre. Well, we see in verses 3 to 6 that they arrive in Tyre, and they had to wait seven days. Now, it, it, is, it is likely that that seven-day period of time was not because Paul wanted to hang around for seven days with the disciples, but that's how long it was going to take before this ship was going to resume its journey. So he was there for seven days, and he took advantage of the time, those seven days, to spend time with disciples. In verse 4, finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Stayed there for seven days, finding disciples. This, th this word, finding means that they actually had sought them out. They knew that there was a church there. They, 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 they searched for the disciples, asking questions, finding out where they were. They found them, and then they fellowshiped them with them for a period of seven days. Now, 
statement. Now, these are disciples of the Lord Jesus whom Paul and, and the guys with him had never met, didn't know them before they came to Tyre. And as they were there, they, they obviously uh, um, developed a bond, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But these uh, disciples probably um, were there as a result of the church being founded uh, because of the persecution uh, in Judea following the martyrdom of Stephen that we, re that we uh, saw back in Acts chapter 7. That's probably when that church began. These, th these uh, disciples there told Paul, Luke writes, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, back in chapter 20, verses 23 and 24, we see these words written by uh, Luke, quoting from the Apostle Paul as he's speaking to those elders in Miletus, whom he just left at the end of the chapter. Paul said, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So we see that going on there. Paul already had been told in all the stops he was making virtually by someone as they were speaking to him through the Holy Spirit with a word of knowledge from the Lord that chains and tribulations awaited him in Jerusalem. As he said there in verse 24, none of these things move me, nor, nor do I count my life as dear to myself. Very, very powerful statement that, that, that he made. And we talked about that a number of weeks ago. But what's happening here in Tyre? Because we see Luke writing, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, in the other passages, we see that they're telling him of the trials, the chains, the bonds that await him. Not telling him not to go, but telling him what's going to happen when he arrives there. Here we see Luke writing that they told him through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. What is actually happening? Well, well let's, let's do a little bit of a review here. In the sense of the way that we have seen Paul living his life as sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit in his life. Back in Acts chapter 16, now, Let's remember that, you know, Paul was merely a man, but he was a man who had consecrated himself fully to be used by the Lord. And he was sensitive to the voice of the Spirit as demonstrated as we've seen in the book of Acts. Back in chapter 16, beginning in verse 7, excuse me, in verse 6, beginning in verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. And we see that they are responding, under Paul's leadership, to the direction of the, of the, of the Spirit. Um, Paul wanted to go to Asia. The Holy Spirit for, forbade them to go. So they didn't. We don't see Paul saying, they need the word of God. They need the word of God, so I'm going. He didn't say that. That was going to come later. God knows what he's doing. He has his plan. He knows the right time, and he'll lead us according to what he knows, right? And his own desire to use us. And he didn't want to use Paul in Asia then. He has something else for them. And then in verses 9 and 10 of that same chapter, 
And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So he has this vision. He sees it as a vision from God. God had told him by the Spirit not to go through Asia. They tried to go to Bithynia, up to the north, but, but that, that he, he wouldn't let them do that. He had this vision from God of a man from Macedonia pleading with him to come, to come to Macedonia. And so that's what Paul and his missionary friends did. And that's when the gospel first hit the shores of Europe. That's when that took place as they went to Philippi. Paul immediately obeyed. And he had this pattern of obedience, which makes it unlikely that now he would not obey if the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. Now, I, I believe what we have to do is conclude, even as we see those things. A um, couple other things, too, before we come to the conclusion. A couple other things I want to mention. Um, the Holy Spirit never had before prohibited Paul from going to Jerusalem. And as I said, we already read from Acts 20, uh, um, the Holy Spirit warned him repeatedly of what would happen, but didn't tell him not to go. Another thing is that, that Luke wrote in uh, chapter 19, verse 21, which we already read a few moments ago, but again, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. He was purposed in the spirit to do so. And again, he had said, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem in that 22nd verse in chapter 20. So Paul was bound in the spirit, purposed in the spirit, led by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Time and time again, he's being told by his, by his friends, those who, who had a, 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 a gift of uh, experiencing the, uh, the gift of knowledge from the Lord, as well as a gift of prophecy, speaking to him about what's going to take place. And we have to conclude that these believers in Tyre, as they received this, this understanding from God, just as the others, they said it was through the Spirit that they were, that they were telling him, not to go, not just simply what was going to happen. And so it's got to be on the part of the believers in Tyre a, a misinterpretation of what the Spirit was saying. And Luke simply wrote what they had said, that they said through the Spirit that he ought not to go to Jerusalem. In fact, later, while he's in Jerusalem and he's speaking to the Sanhedrin in chapter 23 of Acts, we'll be getting to that in a, a number of weeks from now. But in Acts 23, verse 1, Paul, looking earnestly at the council, the Sanhedrin, this is the leadership of the Jews, saying, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And if he believed that the Spirit was telling him not to be there, he would have been lying when he said this. Or misunderstanding or something. So uh, again, I, I think we can conclude that, that the Spirit was not telling him not to go, but simply informing him of what was going to take place once he got there. In terms of misinterpreting circumstances, misinterpreting things that we see, things that we hear. We can misinterpret scripture. You know, we have to be careful about that. A lot of things that we, we need to take care of in that regard. But certainly, this can be and is a problem for believers today. I mean, I think one thing we can do is just put ourselves in Paul's shoes and if you, had a, if you had a move in your mind, you believe that God was telling you to, to move to a particular area, 
maybe maybe a, a job opportunity. You believe that the Lord is is moving you to, to go to, to this place. You've prayed it through, and you believe God is telling you. And then you get there. He doesn't warn you like he warned the Apostle Paul about difficulties, but you get there, and there are difficulties. It's not going the way that you, that you thought it would go. You know, the, the job isn't what you thought it would be. You know, the area is not what... Uh, the, the, the way that it was painted for you when you went and paid, it, paid a visit before. The church wasn't what you thought it would be. It just wasn't like your old church. I mean, there are no places like CCE, right? Anyway, um, a lot of love in this place. There's a lot of love in this place. But while there might be reasons not to go, you believe the Lord had told you to go. Now, the question becomes, did I really hear from God? Or did he just not warn me about what was going to be there? And it's hard to know, but if you prayed, if you sought God, if you were in the word, you got counsel from others, if you just made a choice to go without doing any of those things, maybe you didn't hear the Lord correctly. But if you did all those things, you took the time and you really sought the Lord, you sought counsel, you looked in the word, you believed that the spirit was leading you to go and you got there in this. Well, how can you say that you didn't hear from the Lord if you did all those things? And, and just because we go and it's hard doesn't mean that's not what the Lord wants for us. Right? Right? You know, be, because... It is very clear through the scriptures that difficulties and adversity cause us to grow. It's not the blessings that bring growth. It's the hard things that bring growth. That's spiritual reality, isn't it? Everybody say yes. It is. You know, I mean, <laughs> we need to understand that. Now, we get plenty of blessings, you know, and, and I, I don't want to be all doom and gloom and, and all, but that's just the way that the Lord works. That's the way that he works in our, in our hearts and in our lives. You know, um, in Hebrews chapter 5, I wasn't planning on, sh on, on sharing this, it's not in my notes, but we see that, that the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. Wow. God manifest in the flesh, blameless and perfect, learned obedience through his suffering. Um, you think we're able to skip that part in learning to be an obedient, faithful follower of our Lord Jesus Christ? You know what I mean? I, I think it's th these are things that we just need to see. About 30, 35 years ago, I would say, my sister living in Montana at the time, now, okay, 30, 35 years ago, she, at the time, well, she, I'm five years older than her, she's 66 right now, so this, she was like 30, 36, right in that, that age, her age, uh, 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 of her life. She'd been married for a few years, lived in Montana. Uh, they had, uh, when they went up there, they, they bought a business. Uh, it was a restaurant, and uh, it also had a bar. Well, her husband uh, started drinking. And you know, the problems with that came into their relationship. And, you know, he was never physically abusive, but verbally abu abusive, yes. And much of the family was saying, Mern, you don't need that. Just leave him. Just leave him. And it wasn't like it happened one time and, and, and that's the counsel she got, but it was happening on a regular basis. And it was hard. It was hard for her. Jeanette and I were the only ones who were encouraging her to stay and endure because he hadn't done anything really that would be worthy of leaving him. There was no physical danger. It was just hard to endure the verbal stuff 
on a regular basis. And we encouraged her to say, well, back in, it's 20, about, I think it's about 29 years ago, because we were, we were still uh, worshiping at, at, at Upland High School. And I don't know if any of you were with us back then. Anybody here worship with us while we were at Upland? Okay. Bonnie, Daphne, okay. Carmen, okay, a few of you. Okay, good, okay. Um, but we were still there. So this is like, we started in 1993. Uh, um, so this is like 1994 probably. Well, they, they came down for a visit from California and came to church with us there at uh, as we were worshiping in the cafeteria there at Upland High School. And I'll, I'll never forget my brother-in-law sitting in the, in the front row, Ronnie's his name, sitting in the front row about like this. In fact, right, we, are you guys doing okay? Are you guys, I mean, you're sitting in the same spot. You guys doing okay, really? Because they weren't. Are you? Are, I mean, anyway, I'm just thinking there's something about this <laughs> 1 o'clock. But anyway, they're right there in the front row. I'll never forget, though, as I, as we were, as I was teaching, I remember we were in John 15 talking about uh, 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 abiding in the Lord. And he was sitting there. I mean, he was fixed on me, and he was totally red-faced. I mean, he was emotional, you know, and no, it, w it wasn't a hangover. Uh, he was emotional. His eyes were, were, were tearing up as he was sitting there, you know, and he, he didn't get up and answer the altar call, but afterwards, you know, we were talking. I said, Ron, you want to talk? And we did, and he, he prayed the sinner's prayer. He received Christ that day, you know, and, you know, it's like, that, that is the fruit of obedience on my sister's part. You know what I mean? To say, because if she had left, he never would have been there. Not to say that he couldn't have got saved somewhere else, but this is the way that God works. This is what he did. You know, and, and so it's like, let's be careful we don't misinterpret things. That we don't see things from our own perspective only. We obviously do see things from our own perspective, but my perspective and yours can be wrong, right? I mean, okay, let's, let's do the Fonzie thing. Remember Fonzie on Happy Days? I was, he couldn't say he was wrong. But let's be open to saying that we're wrong. And, and in fact, I think it's a good idea to assume that we may be wrong until the Lord shows us what's actually true, you know, because my heart is deceptive above all things, that I can deceive myself into thinking something is true when it's not, something is right when it's wrong, or something is wrong when it's right, you know, I mean, that's what my heart can do, and yours does that as well. Well, they leave Tyre. And we, we see that in, in verses 5 and 6. They came to the, to the end of their days there, and they departed. And, and, and imagine this seven-day period here. Here's the Apostle Paul with him. Had, had he never seen them before? I would assume that they were like Bible studies every day, you know, that, that he was teaching them God's Word, you know, and, and, and loving on them, and the missionary team was, was involved in ministering to the people and so forth. And, 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 and it was a great experience. It's basically very similar to what would take place when we go on a mission trip somewhere else, you know, to, to minister to the church that is there, to, to minister to the people, to do some outreaches, you know, to, to, to teach God's word and so forth. Very, very similar to that. Well, again, they had never seen each other before. You know, I mean, eight days before they left, they didn't know each other. By the time they did leave, they were linked together tremendously by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.3, we see this. Paul writes that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, there's a wonderful thing that takes place in the hearts of believers. Even when you don't know each other, you see each other for the first time, and it's especially true when, when you're on a missions trip, and it's like 
your mind is geared toward ministry. Your mind is geared in a way that we're here for the things of the Lord to fellowship and minister to other uh, believers in the Lord, our brothers and sisters in the Christ. We've not met them yet, but we're family. We're still family. You know, and, and there is this, uh, this bond that takes place. It, it's, it's the unity of the Spirit. And by the way, let's take note there in, in Ephesians 4.3. Paul writes, the unity of the Spirit, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. We cannot create spiritual unity. We can keep it. We can maintain what God has given to us. But unity of the Spirit comes by the Spirit himself. It's a gift from God. We can't create it. And so we can't make plans. Okay, we, we need to be more united. What can we do to become more united? No, wait a minute. We, we are united. Now, what can we do to act more united, to experience the unity that God has given to us, Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And there's a bond, a, a, a peaceful bond that exists because of the unity of Spirit. And also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul writes this to the church in Colossae, but above all things put on love, which is the bond of perfection or the bond of completeness. We find ourselves complete in the love of God, as we love each other with that agape love from God. And so that, that, that's what God gives to us. I mean, these things that are mentioned in those two verses, unity, love, bonds of peace and perfection or completeness, they're given to us by God. And it is ours to maintain those things. It's just a wonderful thing. I've, I've had the privilege of going to a number of other countries to fellowship with uh, uh, brothers and sisters in, in Mexico, uh, Peru, Colombia, Chile, down in South America, Japan, um, Hungary, uh, the Philippines. It's just a blessed thing to be with brothers and sisters from other countries who speak a different language than you speak, and yet you're communicating through the Spirit because you've got that, you've got that, that, that bond in the spirit. Back in uh, 1998, we, we took a trip to the Philippines. And um, there's a training center that, 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 that is there, still there, uh, training young students in ministry uh, in the city of Dumaguete there in the Philippines. Um, th the team did some outreach ministry with the students at the, at the training center. I was able to teach at the training center. Uh, we were there for about a week, the same kind of period of time that we see here, Paul and his guys there at, at Tyre. Um, about a week, maybe it was 10 days, something like that. Um, but I'll never forget, when we left, um, the students there, again, th this, this unity that, takes th that is there and that we experience, the bonds that create, the bond is that is created because of that unity, just a beautiful thing, but these, these students, um, they, they bid us a very touching and emotional uh, farewell. They, 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 they wrote cards, big cards that they got, and they signed them and everything, and, and, and they got together and, and sang us this song. You guys remember the, the, the song by Michael W. Smith named uh, A Friend, A Friend Forever? That the Lord's the Lord of them, Right? They sang that song to us, and we're all crying. No, oh, we don't want to go. We don't want to go. And then we got. We, then it, the song ended. And then we let's go. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh <laughs> we did want to get home. Um, but no, it was very touching. Very touching. But again, I only say that as a wonderful example of this bond. Paul and his guys experienced it their entire we experienced in the Philippines, and we all experience it from time to time in different kinds of circumstances. But it's the bond of the love and the, and, and the goodness of God, his spirit within us. Okay, verse 7. When we'd finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, 
greeted the brethren, stayed there with stayed with them there one day. And then on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and into the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now let's just kind of stop there for, for just a moment. We've seen Philip before. We met him back in chapter 8. Um, actually, we met him in chapter 6. We, we, we do see that, that uh, Luke calls him uh, one of the seven there in verse 8. Um, that means one of the seven men that, were, uh, that, that, that the apostles laid hands on and they became basically deacons in the church in Jerusalem to help with the distribution of the food for the Hellenist widows. There was an issue that took place there, remember? And then these seven men were, were, uh, were brought up and, and, and everything. Um, we see that he is being one of those seven men. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, we, we see that the, the apostles had given qualifications for these seven men, and among them were men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And so this, this can be a description of, of Philip back then when we met him back in chapter 6. We also saw in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, after Philip had been uh, uh, called to go down toward Egypt and then the, the, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch uh, um, uh, was there in his chariot reading out of Isaiah and Philip was, was sent to aside him to, to minister to him, right? And then afterwards, in verse 40, Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So he obviously settled in Caesarea and raised his family. Uh, among his family, of course, his four daughters, uh, who were uh, prophets, had the gift of prophecy. And it's interesting that that the Lord didn't speak anything through them to the Apostle Paul. But he brought down another prophet from Judea named Agabus. Now, in verse 10, as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he came down to us, he took Paul's belt. Now we're going to see him act. We already read this, but we see him act. I mean, Classically, like an Old Testament prophet, I, I, Isaiah or Ezekiel or, or Jeremiah, just kind of acting out um, visibly uh, as, as a way of describing what's going to be taking place uh, in terms of the word of prophecy that, that's going to be given. And so in verse 11, uh, when he had come to us, when Agabus came, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the, Lord, the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Same message that he had been receiving. Exactly the same message that Paul had been receiving. Virtually at every stop along the way, there's nothing mentioned in, in this particular trip, you know, three ports in three days and so forth. Not there necessarily, but... When he gathered with the church, it happened in Tyre, happened before that. You know, you're, you're going to be bound. It's going to be hard. You're going to have tribulation. And so Agabus says the same thing. A, a, another, I, I want to share a couple of words before we go, go too far into this. Just kind of back up a little bit. I do want to talk about Caesarea for a moment. Because there was a chief city there in Israel. Uh, a seaport, um, Herod. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place, a, a beautiful area of beach and so forth. Um, in fact, if you get on our church's webpage, and when you first open it up, there are several scenes. You know, there's a, a couple of scenes with some oceans and so forth with, with some, some ministry scenes. Then there's, a, then there's a picture that comes up. And you'll see me holding a Bible, and we're, we're in an amphitheater. That amphitheater is at Caesarea. It's a restored amphitheater there in Caesarea. And you'll see some of the fellowship there. I was talking with Dave this morning. He and 
Uh, he and Lisa are there. You see my bride off behind them and so forth, and a few others who were sitting there. And I've got my Bible standing there uh, on those steps of the, of the uh, uh, amphitheater, uh, the same amphitheater that I'm, that I'm sure uh, um, Paul spent some time at. And um, I, I was teaching the word to them. You know, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. You know, Herod had, had built uh, a, a palace there, and I mean, that was his beach home. Uh, beautiful place, though. A uh, uh, beautiful, beautiful place. Every time we go to uh, to Israel, uh, we we go to Caesarea and see it. But that was Caesarea. Uh, it's just a, a a chief city, a port, beautiful area. A lot of people there because of, of the beauty of the coastline there on the Mediterranean. Um, so this is where, where where Philip settled. This message comes to Paul, to all of them who are there. But concerning Paul, when he gets to Jerusalem. Now in verse 12, we see, now when we heard these things, remember Luke is writing, he's with them. When we heard these things, both we, all of Paul's companions, and everybody there in Caesarea who was with us at the house of um, Philip, we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. They pleaded, they begged him, Paul, please don't go. You don't need to be there. You, you don't need to go through this. No, Paul, don't go. You've been hearing this for, for weeks now. Don't go. Of course, we see Paul's response. He begins, I'm sure, with, oy vey. What do you mean? What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Don't go breaking my heart now, okay? <laughs> weeping and breaking my heart. I'm going. A and the way that you were weeping and crying and begging and pleading with me not to go, you know, you're making it so hard for me. Why are you making it so hard for me just simply to obey what the Lord has for me? Don't make it so hard, please. And yet you're going to appreciate where they're coming from. You're going to appreciate where they're coming from. Um, they respond in, in a way that is not totally unlike the way Peter responded to Jesus when he was telling the apostles that when he got to Jerusalem, he was going to have some issues. But he included crucifixion. He also included on the third day I'll rise again. But as he's telling them this, Peter responds, you, you know this, back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22, Peter took him aside. He, he wanted to do this secretly, so he grabbed them and took them aside. And, and, and we see here that, that, that Matthew writes, he took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. It can't happen to you. You're the Messiah. You're going to restore the kingdom. You're going to free us from Rome. No, it can't happen to you. But then Jesus responded to Peter, right? In the next verse, verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter was judging this situation according to his own mind and the, mind, the, thi and the things of men and not being mindful of the things of God. Now let me ask you guys a question. It applies to, to Peter's response to Jesus. It applies to uh, this, the response to uh, Agabus's uh, um, prophecy there of, of Paul and that response. Has there ever been a time, perhaps, that Jesus could have said to you what he said to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. 
because you are looking at a situation with your own things in mind or, or maybe even the things of another person in mind, but not the things of God himself. This is going to be hard. We don't need this. Y- you know, in this passage, and we, we've been here for a, for a while in terms of, 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 of in this place of, of learning some things from the Apostle Paul and the way that he responded. Again, back in the last chapter, verse 24 in particular. None of these things move me, nor do I count my own life as dear to myself, right? You know, he says, how do we respond to situations? Do we avoid hardship even though it's God's will? Has God spoken? And, you know, we've alluded to this before already in, 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 this, in this message, you know. Um, God has spoken, and it's hard. Does that mean he led us in the wrong place? No. Jesus was, was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Why won't he lead us into the wilderness? to experience wilderness things, right? The temptation of Jesus, where he was tempted by Satan. Could it be that when we go through those hard times, it's just simply a temptation from the enemy as well as a test from God? And by the way, I think, and I've shared this with you before, I think every situation when we go through some kind of an affliction or hardship, it is a temptation from the enemy. He wants us to fail in the sense of rejecting what's going on and just beginning to, to uh, accuse God of wrongdoing and, and blaspheming him, to accuse him of not being loving or whatever it might be. Oh, I thought you loved me, God. Why is this so hard? You know, with, with my situation with my bride and this disease that took her life, her physical life, can't take her soul. She's with Jesus right now. She's experiencing that joy with him. You know, but um, it was hard. You know, and I, I, I get it. You know, these things I'm sharing with you this morning, this isn't, this isn't new for me in the, in the sense of understanding these things. It's not to you, new to you guys either. It's very, sel- very seldom we say something that's really new to us. Very seldom. It's just a, a reiteration of God's truth as we continue to go through the word of God. Things that we've heard before and we've just cemented into our hearts more and more and more. You know, but, um, you know, um, we, we, we learn from Job. We, we learn from passages like this. We, we, we learn from the, the things that, that, that Jesus taught. We learn from watching his life. We, 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 we learn from... Uh, just this past Wednesday, I, I, I mentioned, you know, that Jesus, uh, and, and it's, it's mentioned to us, it's written in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that, that Jesus, who, who's the author and finisher of our faith, for the hope that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. For the, for the, for the, for the joy, excuse me, for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. We, we, we learn. We, we have joy set before us as well as believers. And as, as much as some people may want to say it and believe it, you know, guys, the fact of the matter is we cannot have our best life right now. We can't. Well, no, I'll, I'll take that back. We can't. If we don't know Jesus and we're not saved, we will have our best life right now. Because it just gets worse after. However, if you know Jesus, you cannot experience your best life right now. That has to wait. Doesn't mean we can't have a good life. There will be hardships, but a good life. And I have to say that God has given me a blessed, good life. Yeah, you know, it was hard losing my wife. But I've had a blessed life. I have. 
And one of the things I learned from Job is what he asked for his wife. Now, are, are we going to receive the good things from God and not afflict them, not, 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 not hardship? Come on, woman, you foolish thing. Basically what he said to her. You know, and so it's like, he came to give us abundant life and we experience it. But it doesn't mean we have lots of money and lots of things. It means we have lots of him. And lots of him through each other. You know, that's where my blessings have come. And so, the conclusion of these folks in verse 14. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. May God help us to be more quick to get to that place. The will of the Lord be done. What a great conclusion. You know, Paul had conviction in his heart that this was from God. Him going to Jerusalem and experiencing the chains and the tribulation that await him. That's from God. So because of that, he had a purposeful course to follow. As he said, he would not be moved. He would not be diverted off of this course. That's what God had for him. He was willing to pay any price, even his life. He has said, nor does my life... Um, nor does my life, I, say, I, I will not be moved, nor does my life count. What does it say? Dear to myself. Nor is my life dear to myself. Um, and he just now said, I'm willing to die. Not just be bound, but willing to die for Jesus' name. And we also see him filled with God's spirit who strengthened him. He was able to do what God had called him to do. And he went there, and what we see being prophesied will indeed take place for him. Um, as we look at this conviction of Paul, what about us? What about you and me? Do we have that same kind of conviction? Probably not. Something close to it? Well, preferably it's getting closer and closer and closer to that the longer we walk with the Lord. That conviction of knowing God has this for me and this is what I'm going to do. And nothing that any person says, nothing that any person does, nothing that the enemy may do, any circumstances that he brings, nothing is going to move me off of that course that God has laid out for me. He's given it to me. And this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. We receive that conviction when God speaks to us through his word. Sometimes it might be through a fellow believer, a brother or sister in the Lord. Maybe, maybe it's through a, your husband or your wife. But God gives us those things. Paul had written to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Guys, let us commit this morning to be just that. Let's imitate Paul as he imitated his Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, help us to do so. Help us, God, we pray. Oh, Lord, we need your word. Thank you that you've given it to us. We want to hear what you have for us. It seems to be a rare thing that we hear directly from you. Lord, might your spirit move us? Might we be encouraged by others around us and in our walk with you to do the things that you've called us to? Areas of service, areas of giving our, 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 our lives for the sake of others. Even the willingness to lose all for the sake of your holy and righteous name. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you give us each and every day to serve you, to love you, to serve others, 
to do what you've done in giving yourself for us. Might we give ourselves as well. And as we do, Lord, might your love shine through. Might your spirit have his way. Might he touch hearts and might he strengthen us through this life. An an abundant life that you give to us, yet at the same time, many hardships, many afflictions, a lot of tribulation. Thank you for the strength that you give us. Now, Lord, I give this church to you. I give each person who's sitting here even now, others who may not be with us now and are are watching on on live stream and maybe watching this maybe later or whatever the case may be, Lord, but that we would be strengthened and filled by your spirit to be the men and women that you've called us to be, to do the things you've called us to do, and Lord, to be used by you in the lives of others around you. As you've used Paul and so many others before us. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.